December 10th. Dear Jenny, Nasty weather today, but that's all right. When the Secretary Privy came out last week and saw us flying in the sleet without protection, she had a fit, and now the dragons have had tent things attached to their harnesses. They look sketchy, just bits of tarp on four poles, really, but mine keeps me dry, and I still have peripheral vision, so I'm not complaining. Norbert doesn't seem too keen on it, but then he's been edgy for the last few days, ever since what happened to Victor. I hope I don't get thrown, too. Ho, ho. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. I won't fall. And even if I do, I'm a good swimmer. But don't look like that. It's not going to happen. You should see Malfoy under his tent. He thinks he's a Maharaja. I notice Mortar, that's his dragon, is the only one that never gets sick or nervous, and I can't help wondering why. Don't tell Ron about that, because it'll just give him more fuel for the fire. Malfoy says his dragon's just better quality and that you get what you pay for with animals, but that's crap. Norbert came free, and he's the strongest dragon out there, because Hagrid was good to him, and then Charlie was. I do feel a bit badly for Malfoy, though. He looks bored. Mick and I talk back and forth, but Malfoy never says a word. And when it's quiet out here, Mick reads creature handbooks and I write to you. I never see Malfoy doing anything. I still don't get why he's out here. If he were anyone else, I'd say he just couldn't stand to be idle while everyone else was rebuilding. But Malfoy? No. I walked by Lupin Lodge last night, just to stretch my legs after work, you know. Saw you through the dining room window. It looked like you were doing some homework. Studying? Practicing? What are you doing now? I want to say I hope it's going at top speed, but you know I don't want you to hurt yourself. It was good to see you, even if we didn't get to talk. I don't know how you get anything done with your hair and your face like that. I miss you. Love, Harry. December 11th. Dear Harry, don't joke. Don't fall. Do you think you should be writing up there? I'd miss your letters if you stopped, of course, but I'd rather have you in one piece. And don't bother feeling sorry for Malfoy. I hope you haven't forgotten that he's a prize git even if he hasn't caused any proper mischief in a while. Keep your eyes on him and keep your wand hand ready. I sound like Professor Moody. Perhaps I'll stop studying healing and ask McGonagall if she'll let me teach defense. Can't you just see that? Or you could teach it, Harry, and scare the first years to death with stories. Or we could switch off. I'll do a year, and then you can have it. I'm sure the position's going to be cursed like that forever. No one can do more than one turn in that job. My studies are coming along, though, and quickly. I think you know I worked on Ron a bit, and Remus says it's all right for me to keep working with people a little at a time, as long as their emotional wounds aren't too dire. The only problem is that everyone's so stricken since the war that there's no one safe to work on. I don't know who I could possibly help without hurting myself, but I think that just living in the same house with Sirius and Remus is making me stronger all the time. I don't open up to them, or try to help them, but I can still feel their old experiences, to some extent. I'll have to find ways to propel my own energy out around me, to hold their auras back. It's good practice, because they've both got past that, well, you know. But about you and me in particular, which you won't ask about, but I have to tell you anyway, I finally found another book on healing, Open Hands by Namita Vibhushan. She was born in the 1700s and was India's only healer for nearly two centuries. It's a very short book, but it's got a personal account, and it's so nice to finally know about someone else's experience with empathic magic. She talks about everything, about how tiring it was at first, about how long it took her to handle human feeling with any success, and about how she dealt with Javikti Kanesh, who was her partner of sort. Well, he was her lover. Anyway, it's a helpful book. You can read it if you want. I'm glad there are tents on the dragons. It's much nicer weather today, though. Crisp and cool, my favorite. Ron mentioned that you two are going to see the cannons play the kestrels tonight. Have fun. I'll be listening on the wireless to make sure Ron doesn't do anything stupid, like throw himself onto the pitch. Oh, Remus just slapped a bitch of parchment in front of me with a lot of red ink on it. Let me see. Yes, it's my potions midterm. 
How is it possible to flawlessly brew the most difficult potion on record, yet very nearly fail my test? He just said. He would also like me to know that if I can't find as much time to study for my NEWTs as I find to write to you, then I might find myself unemployed in seven months' time. He's looking at me in a way that says I should put down this quill. Bye. Love, Ginny. Harry stuffed the letter into the pocket of his cloak, where it crumpled against the others he carried around with him, and wrapped his cold hands around the steaming butterbeer that Ron had just shoved under his nose. Reading? Ron asked innocently, studying into his seat. Shut up, was Harry's eloquent reply. He propped his feet on the seat in front of him and surveyed the pitch. It was the second cannons game he'd come to. He hadn't expected to have so much fun at the first one but there was nothing quite like sitting next to Ron when the Chudley Cannons won a match. Ron became a shouting blur of orange flag and ginger hair and wild, flailing arms. Harry imagined that even Oliver was less excited by the team's undefeated status. Undefeated, Ron was saying now, thumping his own feet onto the seat before him and slapping his knee with his free hand. Undy bloody feated, but then I always knew. Top marks for divination. Ron laughed and swigged his butterbeer. I made top marks in divination. I've got the inner eye, Potter, and don't you forget it. Right, Harry answered mildly, and sniffed his own butterbeer. He didn't drink it. Just now it was a perfect hand-heater. It was winter now, darkness was falling, and the wind in the stands cut across the crowd like a frozen knife. Most of the fans on this side of the stadium were bundled up in shocking orange blankets and fuzzy orange hats. Those who weren't were shivering madly. Let's make predictions, then. Ron made a happy sound and sat up straighter. That was always good fun, he agreed. All right. When I'm a hundred and eighty-seven, I'll be slaughtered by a falling comet. Uh, a falling comet would take out half the world, wouldn't it? You're stalling. Harry grinned. Okay. I'll get thrown into the Atlantic next week and catch pneumonia by Christmas. Not a chance, said Ron staunchly. None of that. If you want to get thrown, let's have it be from a firebolt at a professional Quidditch match, because you're going out for another team when this madness with dragons is done, Harry. Ron nudged him. Aren't you? Harry shrugged. Dunno. But if I do, I predict I'll be killed by a hailstorm of enchanted bludgers. Oh, nice one. How about this, then? I'll be captured and tortured and eaten alive by a band of ferocious Vila. Hermione'd kill you first. Oh, I've got one. Harry sniggered. I predict that I'll be doing some silencing charms on your room when Hermione comes home. Ron went scarlet. Very funny, ha ha, he muttered. I'm sure I could make the same prediction, but I don't want to think about you in a dark room with my sister. Harry sputtered and sprayed the foam of his butterbeer all over the fat neck of the squat man in front of them. Sorry, he said quickly, when the man turned around, looking irritated. The irritation faded in an instant. Are you? asked the man, his round, bald head flushing red above the black fringe of his hair, as his gaze fixed on Harry's forehead. You are Harry Potter, and you must be. His small black eyes darted to Ron. Ron Weasley, isn't it? Yeah. Ron sounded like he wanted to be modest and withdrawn. But Harry knew better. This sort of thing made Ron walk on air for weeks on end, and he envied his friend that excitement. Other people seemed to get such a rush out of fame. He'd felt like he'd been cheated out of the fun parts. What an honor this is, cheeped the man, his fleshy cheeks dimpling as he smiled. He clapped the ends of his orange blanket together. Oh, tell me, lads, would you sign a scrap of parchment for an old bloke? Sure, said Ron. What's your name? It's Flicket Gladrag, said the man, handing over a quill and a small scroll. Harry peered at the man for a moment, while Ron signed his name. Gladrag, he repeated, like the wizard wear? The very one. You've heard of it. Mr. Gladrag boomed. Own any of my line? he asked hopefully. Heard of it? Ron repeated, passing the scroll to Harry and looking up. Who hasn't heard of it? That's yours? Mr. Gladrag nodded. All mine. For the first time, Harry noticed the beautiful black-haired woman who sat beside Mr. Gladrag. 
She had to be a foot taller, four stone lighter, and fifty years younger than he was, and yet her diamond-encrusted left hand caressed the old tycoon's knee. Harry hid a smirk and bent his head to sign his name, thinking again of how odd fame and fortune really were. He looked at the scroll and barely bit back a laugh. Dear Flicket, good to meet you. Yours truly, Ron Weasley. The Weasley had more curlicues than Harry had ever seen in it. He didn't know where Ron got that stuff. Harry Potter, he signed quickly, and handed it all back to Mr. Gladrag. You two boys ought to be wearing the best of the best, Mr. Gladrag was saying to Ron. Being who you are, it only makes sense. Or perhaps you'd like something for your young lady. His eyes darted to Harry. Hermione Granger, isn't it? Harry glanced at Ron. She's our friend, yes. Yes, your friend, he. Don't I know about that? Well, I've seen her picture, and she'd do well in a little red thing or two we've got in stock this season. Ron's fist clenched, but before he could do anything, Mr. Gladrag's eyes went wide, and he wagged a finger at Harry. Oh, oh no, that's right, you've got the other one. The minister's little girl. I saw that edition of Charmed Life magazine, and my, my, Mr. Potter, yes, you'll certainly want to dress her up for the smart party's lovely figure. Ron made a strangled noise, and Harry's blood burned. He had a vision of himself yanking the last dredges of hair out of Mr. Gladrag's head. Here's my card, and no cost to you, of course. Still beaming, and obviously oblivious to having caused any offense, Mr. Gladrags handed a card to Harry and one to Ron, who barely took it. Good for business, people like yourselves showing up in Gladrags, and you've no idea what those autographs mean to me. He sighed and touched the little scroll to his orange-jumpered chest. It'd be an honor to give something back to the people who— Ah, well, you know what you've done. Just grateful, that's all. He gave them each a humble look, and Harry suddenly felt much less violent. They were all quiet for a moment, and then— "'You want to give them to us free?' Ron asked. "'Dress robes?' Mr. Gladrag chuckled. "'For yourselves, for the ladies, just call.' He stretched a short, pudgy arm around his companion's slim back. It barely reached. "'And now, lads, back to the pitch. Game will be on soon, and I haven't missed a cannon's game in nearly forty years.' Ron's eyebrows shot up. He must be all right, he whispered to Harry, when Mr. Gladrag was safely involved with the black-haired woman beside him, and no longer listening to them. He's a cannon's man, and he's giving us free stuff. To think, my season tickets are right behind his, and it was nice of him to ask for our autographs and everything. Ron cleared his throat and tried to look casual. Harry shrugged. He didn't notice us last time. You didn't spit butterbeer all over him last time. Look! Ron had forgotten Flicket Gladrag. He pointed to the pitch, mouth hanging open, eyes saucer-wide, as if he'd never seen the cannons come out of the tunnel before. They weren't even in full gear, Harry noted. But then, they were still warming up, and so were the Kestrels, whose leprechaun mascots had not yet begun to wreak havoc. Ron had insisted on getting there an hour early to watch everything. Harry checked his watch. 5.30 Half an hour until the game began, he lifted his butterbeer to his mouth. Crack! Harry was on his feet in an instant, and so was Ron, both of them straining their necks to see what was happening on the pitch. A bludger zoomed away from Marine Knight, who slumped, dropped from her broom, and tumbled toward the ground. The sparse crowd of cannon fans who had arrived early all shot to their feet and gasped, and even the opposing Kestrel fans stopped playing their harps long enough to look horrified. "'Lentus!' cried Oliver Wood, pointing his wand and rushing toward her. To Harry's relief, Knight's body slowed down considerably and hit the grass with a thud that didn't sound too painful. But she lay there, deathly still, with her nose gushing blood and her arms and legs at odd angles, and Harry had a feeling that the bludger injury was as bad as it had sounded. Above her, the Kestrel's team captain and first beater hovered close together. Harry thought he had just seen them grin at each other. "'Get out of the way!' Oliver shouted at the meta-wizards who had gathered around the unconscious seeker. "'Give her room!' "'Mr. Wood, back away! Away!' I said. "'We are all trained professionals,' said one of the witches in white. Still, it took two referees to hold Oliver away from Knight, 
whose prone body was now surrounded by a crowd so dense that Harry couldn't see through it. They examined her for a long time, as an uneasy murmur rippled through the crowd. "'She can't be out,' Gladrags muttered in front of them. "'She can't be out. She's our good luck charm. Come on, love, pick yourself up.' "'Pick yourself up,' Ron repeated. He gripped Harry's shoulder. "'She has to play,' he said mechanically. "'She has to play.' The meta-wizards ended their conference and stood around Knight's body. Two of them floated her into the air and towards the tunnel. As they disappeared along with Knight, two other meta-wizards approached the referee and officials. They were a long time talking, and then the referee tapped his throat with his wand. Sonoros. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Marine Knight has experienced damage to her cranium and to her neck, and must recover fully before she plays another game, which won't be tonight. There was an outcry on the cannon side. Fans shouted and swore and threw their butterbeer cups at the field. The Kestrels fan cheered and swept their hands across their harps, while their leprechauns let out high-pitched noises of glee and shot sky rackets of clover into the stands. Ron moaned, dropped into his seat, and put his head in his hands. And Harry sat down next to him, not sure whether to laugh or vomit. After all, it wasn't the end of the world. It was only the Chudley Cannons. But he had signed a contract. Harry swallowed the swarm of butterflies that fought to get out of his stomach. Oliver Wood, you have one half hour to prepare your reserve player and your team, the, ref the referee continued. Play will begin with a penalty shot on the Kestrels for the deliberate disabling of an opposing player. What? shouted Kyle Kirkpatrick, the Kestrels captain. He pushed Sandy Hare out of his eyes and glared at the referee. But that's just bad luck. You're not allowed to. That's a load of... But his curses were lost on the small man in striped robes, who had tapped his throat again and walked away. Looking hostile but confident, Kirkpatrick returned to his team and gathered them into an airborne huddle. Oliver, on the other hand, didn't do anything. He stood on the pitch, staring toward the tunnel into which Knight had just been taken looking very lost. Even when Cole Carey flew down and tapped his shoulder, he didn't seem to remember where he was. I'd better go down there and see if... if Oliver needs me, Harry managed, standing up and edging past Ron to the aisle, holding his stomach with one hand to stop it from jumping around. You can't do anything, Ron moaned without looking up. He has to put in his reserve, and it was such a beautiful season. I'm second reserve. Harry had said it so faintly that he wasn't sure Ron would hear it. He was wrong. Ron was on his feet, holding him by his collar before he could take a step toward the pitch. You're what? Ron whispered. He shook Harry a little. What did you just say? I'm second reserve. Oliver made me sign it. I only said yes because I didn't imagine it would ever, and I'm sure it won't. I haven't been working out with the team, and he'll put in his first reserve anyway. I'm sure that's the rule. Ron's eyes had nearly fallen out of his head. He tightened his grip on Harry's collar so that Harry had to fight for air. You didn't tell me that, Ron hissed. And there's no rule. Don't you even know the... Damn it. Wood can put in any player he wants. This happened before the play commenced, understand? Before play commenced so he can make a substitution. Ron shook Harry again. Any legal substitution. Ron looked a little less scary now. That could mean you. Let go, Harry rasped and yanked at Ron's wrists. Ron didn't seem to notice that Harry was asphyxiating. You get down there, he commanded. Get down there now. He pushed Harry in the direction of the pitch. Harry fled rubbing his neck and wondering if there was some sort of charm Hermione could do when she got home to make Ron a little less obsessive. When he got to the edge of the pitch, a burly official strode toward him, wand out. Get away from the sideline. But I'm... You can't be down here, kid. Go back to your seat. Harry bristled. Look, I'm the second reserve for the cannons. The official snorted and his mustache flapped, making him look a little too much like Uncle Vernon for Harry's tastes. Sure you are. He eyed the butterbeer in Harry's hand. Just thought you'd pop by and play, eh? Get back to your seat. 
and when Harry didn't move, the official tried to grab his arm. Harry took a sharp step back. My name's Harry Potter, he said through clenched teeth, and for the first time in his life he felt satisfied to see someone's mouth drop open, and I'd like to speak to Oliver Wood. The official seemed unable to think up a reply. His mustache quivered, and he opened the gate that separated the pitch from the stands. G go ahead, he stammered. Sorry about that, but I didn't recognize... It's all right, Harry muttered, and strode past him onto the pitch. Oliver was still standing, looking dazed, surrounded now by all his players and reserves, and Harry slipped into place behind Marty Gudgeon without anyone seeming to notice. Among the cannons was a trembling man about his own size that Harry didn't recognize. "'Oliver, are you going to play?' said Michaela Pummelfriend in a low voice. "'We've only got twenty-five minutes. Are you going to suit up, or should one of us?' "'He'll suit up,' said Feroza Newland. "'Look, Oliver, it'll be fine. We can play without Marine. We've got Ross, after all.' Oliver made a devastated noise. He didn't seem to be focused on anything. If we had more time, he mumbled. Perhaps if I called the time out now and bought two hours, she's not going to recover in two hours, Cole Carey said gently. Come on, Oliver, put Ross on the pitch. He's worked out as hard as the rest of us. I... Oliver swung around to look at the slender, trembling man, who Harry now realized must be the first reserve seeker. Right, he said, sounding more like himself. He smiled weakly. Go on, Doylan. Suit up. Ross Doylan made a noise very much like the one Oliver had just made, and slunk away towards the tunnel. When Ross was gone, Oliver slumped again and let out a cry. Undefeated, was all he said. Marty Gudgeon, who'd been standing alongside him with a frown on his pug-like face, now glared at Oliver and punched him hard in the arm. We need a captain, man, he roared. Snap out of it! You want to be undefeated? You'd better take the next twenty minutes and do something about it. Oliver stared at him, and then focused over Marty's shoulder at Harry. Potter? he asked faintly, looking like a man in a dream. The team whirled around his one body, and face after face cracked into wide grins at the sight of Harry standing there. Harry! Mate! Good to see you! Feroza reached out and clapped him on the shoulder. We're in a state, aren't we? added Paul Wythe. "'How'd you get onto the pitch?' Medusa Francis asked, laughing and smacking her bat against her open palm. "'Heck someone?' "'Quiet!' Oliver bellowed. The manic gleam had returned to his eyes. His mouth hung open, and he shook his head. "'I can put you in, Potter,' he breathed, sounding very much like Ron. There was a shocked, excited murmur from everyone, but Oliver silenced them again. "'He's second reserve,' he explained shortly. But I promised he'd never have to play if he didn't want to, or unless there was a dire emergency. This is a dire emergency, Cole Carey piped up, hugging her broom. And you want to play, don't you, Harry? The whole team grinned at him and nodded. Harry fidgeted. You've got a first reserve, Oliver. I'm sure he'll want to. I don't. Ross Doylan had returned, all in orange, looking terrified. I'm not nearly good enough, and everyone knows it. I've worked hard, he shot a frightened glance at Oliver, but I'm no Marine Knight, and I'd rather we didn't lose the undefeated status. I know you're the better player. I saw you in tryouts. You were at tryouts? Harry asked. He couldn't remember. I was cut in the third week, Ross said. Please say you're playing. Harry didn't know what to do. But I haven't practiced, he said slowly. I haven't worked out with all of you. I don't know the plays. I haven't been following Kestrel. I'm not up to speed. This isn't... This isn't school. You're damn right it's not, Oliver laughed harshly. But you're a natural, Potter. You're a natural. And you've been flying every day, haven't you? asked Feroza. Up at Azkaban. Yes, and I imagine that's even more difficult in some ways, added Paul. Harry thought of the Dementors and gave a dry laugh. But Paul was right. He did fly all day and was often called on to dive and pull off complicated maneuvers. Still, dragon riding wasn't like Quidditch. I do, he finally answered, but it's not the same thing. Oh, come on, give it a go, Cole pleaded. It'll be great to have you with us again, Medusa said. Do it, Potter, come on, 
Marty said, elbowing him in the side. You know you want to. Make your choice, said Oliver, but you've got to make it now. He gave Harry a pleading look. Harry looked around at their faces, then up into the stands, where Ron, both hands gripping his hair, was standing beside Mr. Gladrag and staring down at their huddle. Harry swallowed and glanced out at the pitch, which shone green under the flood lamps. A bolt of terrified excitement shot through him. It was dark now, and the snitch would be nearly impossible to see. He knew nothing of the Kestrel strategies, or even of how the cannons had developed since summer workouts. He hadn't even played a scrimmage game in three months. His fingers itched for his firebolt. Okay, he said faintly. I'll play. There was a deafening whoop from all sides of him, and Harry looked at Oliver. Don't make me want to kill myself if I don't catch it, he muttered. Oh, you'll catch it, Oliver said, coming toward him and clapping both hands on Harry's shoulder. Or you'll die trying. He grinned and turned to face the rest of the team. Get in gear, he shouted. I'm going to go and call an early timeout. Give Potter an extra few minutes to get himself in order. I said move. The Chudley cannon scrambled back into the tunnel, and Harry was carried along with them, numb with disbelief, the butter beer he still clutched in his hand sloshing all down his arm. It was a good thing he hadn't drunk any of it. He was going to play. Quidditch. Professionally. Now. For an undefeated team. In front of everyone. He was out of his mind. Your uniform's in this locker, Potter. Oliver steered Harry toward the spot. Everyone else, get yourselves dressed and get back up there. Drills, teams. Marty, you're in charge. The other players quickly traded in their practice gear for their uniforms and left the lockers, shouting encouraging things to Harry as they left. He tried to smile at them, but had a hard time of it. And you'll take Maureen's broom, Harry, Oliver called, heading for the door. Harry's stomach clenched. I, I was thinking my firebolt... Perhaps Ron could... Sorry, I'd prefer you to fly with what you're used to, but there are regulations. You'll have to use a league-approved broom. I'll grab it while you suit up. Dazed, Harry pulled on the long woolen socks, the knickerbockers, the jumper, and the sleek, rubbery black trainers. He strapped on the shin, elbow, knee, and hand guards, and shoved his fingers into the half-gloves. When everything was in place, he reached into the locker and lifted out the cloak. It was a dazzling orange, the color and sheen of Hagrid's pumpkins, and it was heavier than the one he'd worn for Gryffindor. Harry grabbed it by the top and swirled it back over his shoulders, clasping it at the base of his throat. He shut the locker and turned to the mirror. There he was, double C's and speeding cannonball emblazed across his chest, looking every inch like someone who belonged on Ron's bedroom wall at the burrow. He pulled his wand and tapped his glasses, muttering the spell Hermione had taught him to repel rain, in case there was any, and then he did the charm she had later taught him for keeping his glasses snug to his head so they'd never fall off. He owed her for that one. He shook out his arms and legs and stretched his neck. His heart raced nervously, but the uniform felt natural, comfortable. He liked the weight of it and always had. Ready? Oliver had returned, holding out the most beautiful broom Harry had ever touched. Its dark, polished cherry wood handle had a slimmer grip than his own broom, and there were slender, golden rods sticking out a few inches in either direction, just under the spot where Harry knew the cushioning charm to be. The tail swept and curved into what had to be the most aerodynamic shape on the market. Firebolt 5, it said in gold script on the handle. She had those put in, Oliver explained, pointing to the golden rods. Footholds. You've seen her do it, bend her knees and keep her feet pulled up under her bum for speed. These keep her feet up the whole game without tiring her out. Just rest the tops of your feet there. Dead useful speed strategy. She won't mind? asked Harry doubtfully, not sure he'd want another seeker riding his broom if it was as nice as this one especially a seeker who didn't know what the hell he was doing. She's unconscious, Oliver replied. Take the broom. You're going to run drills on it for half an hour before the game starts so you can get used to it. But first, Harry, listen close. The Kestrels had a bye last game. That means they didn't play. 
It's been four weeks since their last match, and while that doesn't mean they're out of shape, it means they've lost competitive momentum. Oliver began to pace. Plus which, they're two and two. Two wins, two losses. Their last game before their bye was a loss. Not in a good mental state, I'd say. We, on the other hand, are undefeated. He gave Harry a meaningful look. Undefeated. 5-0. I get it, Oliver, Harry said, wishing very much that Fred and George Weasley would appear over Oliver's shoulders and start waggling their eyebrows and making rude comments. No one but Oliver Wood had the power to make him feel quite so eleven. They're going to be feeling confident now that they've put Marine out of play, Oliver growled. Deliberate bunch of dirty bastards. I've always thought well of Kyle Kirkpatrick's team, but Boomer must have finally rubbed off on him. Boomer? Tim Boomer, first beater for the Kestrels, plays the left side of the pitch for the most part and plays dirty. Filthy dirty. There's no doubt in my mind he sent that bludger at Marine's head on purpose, and he'll do the same for you. Keep your eyes on him. Harry nodded, feeling suddenly that perhaps riding dragons was no more dangerous than playing Quidditch after all. Duncan's the other beater, but don't pay too much attention to him. He's nothing on Marty and Medusa. Leave Fryer to the chasers. She's a fine keeper, but they'll destroy her. And leave their chasers to me. Oliver's eyes flashed. I know all their stunts. Who's their seeker? Harry asked, wishing he had followed the season a bit more closely. Ron would have known all of this off the top of his head. Adam Holgate, and he's very, very good, Harry. Their losses are chaser-based, not seeker. Even if he'd caught the snitch in the last game, the Kestrels would have lost by a 110 points. Harry gave a low whistle. And bear in mind that the Kestrels are famous for distracting opposing seekers. Those leprechauns are nasty, clever little beasts. Don't go throwing yourself at a bit of leprechaun gold thinking it's the snitch. Harry had never considered that. But if I see something shine, he began, I can't waste time trying to work out if they're forbidden to toss the coins over the boundary lines, so just keep to your boundaries and don't let them lure you out. They've got quite talented at throwing the things straight up in the air, the little buggers, just centimeters away from the pitch. But if it's over the line... It's not the snitch. Don't waste your energy. I'll try. No. Oliver stopped pacing and glared at him. There's no trying here, Harry. There's just winning. Are you ready? I... Harry glanced at himself in the mirror. No. Too bad. Chat's over. Time to play. Oliver strode past him to the locker room door, and Harry followed his captain out. Together they hiked up the dark corridor of the tunnel and toward the pitch. Harry felt his stomach lurch and growl with every step. He had to be mad. A lunatic. The lights from the pitch were growing brighter. It was fully dark now, and that was only going to make things more complicated. The murmur of the crowd had increased tenfold, and he dreaded what he would see when they walked out into the light. Oliver stopped short and turned around, nearly knocking Harry over. "'How did you know to show up?' he demanded. "'I would have gotten around to sending for you.' "'But you got here before anyone even—' "'I was here to watch the match,' Harry said. "'Ron has season tickets.' "'Oliver nodded and then peered at Harry. "'He sniffed, frowned, and sniffed again. "'You didn't go drinking anything while you were in the stands, did you?' "'No.' "'Harry waited until Oliver had turned around, "'then rolled his eyes and followed him onto the pitch. "'No sooner did he squint against the bright lights "'than a noise unlike anything Harry had ever heard "'erupted in the Quidditch stands. "'It was a roar, a wall of frenzied sound "'that began in the stands and rushed down "'to press Harry on all sides, "'filling his ears, nearly blowing back his hair. "'He staggered and looked up. "'And it's true!' came a familiar announcer's voice, "'blasting above all the others, filling the stadium. Rumor confirmed, Harry Potter, second reserve seeker for the Chudley Cannons, will be playing in place of Marine Knight. The crowd's mighty cheer doubled, drowning out the sound of the Kestrel supporters' harps and causing their leprechauns to scowl and stop throwing gold. Somewhere, someone began chanting Harry's name. Within seconds, everyone had taken up the chant, and the air was full of Harry Potter punctuated by the rhythmic noise of thousands of hands clapping. 
Harry's heart thudded into his stomach, and his stomach dropped into his feet. He took a step closer to Oliver. "'But I haven't done anything,' he whispered. "'Looks like you'd better, then,' was Oliver's comforting reply. "'The match will begin in fifteen minutes,' the referee called from the center of the pitch. "'Wrap up the drills!' Oliver clapped a hand on Harry's back. "'Get used to the broom. Go on.' Doing his best to ignore the chanting crowd and the disturbing screams of Harry, I love you, and marry me, Harry, Harry mounted the firebolt five. It felt like his own broom, only sleeker. He tucked his feet onto the golden rods and lifted off, getting the feel of the handle. Perfect. There was no other way to describe it. Harry knew that he would still be flying his old Nimbus 2000 if it hadn't been destroyed. That broom had been his first, and it still grieved him to think about it. And he'd never give up his own firebolt. It was an excellent broom, and it meant the world to him because of who it had come from and what he had done on it. But he couldn't pretend that either broom came up to this. This was flying. He barely pressed left. He faced the left side of the pitch. He put both thumbs on the handle and gave the slightest hint of downward pressure. A flawless dive. Harry grinned and pulled up, adjusting to the feeling of having his feet tucked beneath him. He dove again, shooting towards the pitch, pulling up only when he knew he'd break his face if he didn't. He shot into the air, tried a sloth grip roll, and dropped into a dive so steep that the firebolt five made a right angle with the pitch. He pulled up short and hovered as close to the ground as he could, rolled again, and climbed back into the sky to join his teammates. His heart was lighter than it had been in weeks, and he couldn't get the smile off his face. Why, oh why, had he ever chosen the dragons? Dimly, he heard the continuing roar of the crowd, but he didn't care about them. He was going to play Quidditch, and it was going to be fun. He sought out Ron among the now teeming crowd, and waved. Ron's fist shot into the air, and Harry could have sworn he heard his friend's voice shout above everyone else's. He wished Ginny were here, and Hermione, everyone. Team! It was Oliver's voice, and Harry spun towards it. Huddle! The Chudley cannons made a tight circle, and all eyes were on Oliver. He looked at them each in turn, his face alight with confidence. We're going to do this, he said. We've come up from nothing. We've beaten the odds. We've shown them all a thing or two. And are we going to stop now when we're five up? No, they shouted. Are we going to let them take out our seeker and throw us off? No. Are we going to march down to that meta-wizarding wing when this is through and put that snitch in Marine's hand? Yes. Harry choked it out with everyone else, though his heart had slammed up into his throat. Give me your hands. Oliver stuck out his own, and every player put a hand in the center. And give me our motto. We shall conquer. The last word rang in the air, full of strength and vibrancy. It was contagious, and to Harry's relief, the Cannon's fans began chanting the team motto, rather than his name. They were still chanting a minute later, their determined voices pitted against the spirited strumming of the Kestrel's fans, when the two teams formed their semicircles around the center of the pitch to wait for the release of the quaffle. "'Ready, Harry?' Ferosa whispered on his right, elbowing his arm. Yes, Harry lied. Good, let's kick some arse. The small referee appeared below them. He mounted his broom, blew his whistle, and kicked open the crate at his feet. Four balls sped into the air. Two bludgers, one quaffle, and, Harry barely got a glimpse of it before it flickered out of sight, the golden snitch. There they go, ladies and gentlemen. Wife, Carrie, Newland, Potter, Holweddle, Kirkpatrick, DeGood, Holgate, fire and wood at the goalposts. Chaos. That was how it felt to Harry, who had never played Quidditch like this. Obviously, Oliver hadn't been joking at the end of summer tryouts, when he said that they were only just getting to the real practices. Harry knew enough to lift out of the circle as quickly as possible before he was smashed, and he pulled up on the nose of his broom. Still, he didn't escape the fray without getting jostled so hard on all sides that he had to work to keep his balance. He was slammed left and right by the Kestrel chasers as they went in pursuit of the quaffle, 
and he fought upwards, gripping the broom-handle for dear life. Newland with a quaffle, reverse pass to Wythe, Wythe to the hoops, and oh, bludger to the broom-tail, no goal. Harry was high enough now to see the game below him without getting tangled up in it, and he was amazed by the zigzagging speed with which the two teams had launched into play. Formations of orange and emerald green swerved around each other in vibrant, clashing patterns that Harry could hardly follow. A few were drills he'd seen in the summer, but now the moves were faster than lightning and almost unrecognizable. Tim Boomer, wearing a look of ugly determination, sped after the bludger he'd just hit at Feroza. He swung around behind it and raised his bat. Only when Boomer glanced up and adjusted his arm did Harry realize that the beater was aiming for him. Smack! The bludger flew with a force and speed that Harry had never had to worry about in school. Luckily, he'd been watching, and dodged the iron ball with ease. Nice roll, Potter. Well, it looks like Boomer's taking the first rule in the beater's Bible a bit literally this evening. Kirkpatrick with the quaffle and a pass to Holweddle. She's a whiz with that Wollongong shimmy. Yes, there it is. Faking left, right, left, and right again. She shoots, but Wood saw it coming a mile away. Great save. The cannon side of the stadium exploded in cheers. Orange flags waved, and banners bearing Oliver's name were unfurled and shaken madly. Oliver had grabbed the quaffle with both hands. He lobbed it at Cole, who made herself as flat as possible and sped toward Paul and Medusa. The three closed into formation, with Medusa in the lead beating back interference and Paul cutting between Cole and the opposing chasers. They made it to the scoring area in record time. Medusa dove to catch a bludger before it could interrupt at the crucial moment, and Paul pulled off to let Cole into the scoring area alone. She dove right, pulled up, and hurled the quaffle. Cannon score! Fryer had missed it by an inch. Cole, Paul, and Medusa flew back to mid-pitch with no time for celebration, and play resumed in seconds. Harry scanned the air around him, trying to memorize the area. Something shone. He caught a glimpse of it out of the corner of his eye and pivoted. But no, it was the goalpost. There was another glint of something far below, and Harry swung toward that. No, again. Referee's whistle. Rapidly, he catalogued every metallic flash. Marty's wedding band, the foil wrappers of the fans' crisps, the gleaming strings of the Kestrel supporters' harps, and the bright yellow K's on their players' robes. Under the glare of the ultra-bright stadium flood lanterns, everything seemed to shine, and the additional distraction of flashbulbs which popped madly from the press booth and on the sidelines didn't help matters at all. Adam Holgate didn't seem phased by the lights and flashes, and Harry realized what an advantage his opponent had. Holgate had gotten used to night games in the stadiums like this one. He hovered just out of the Kestrel scoring area, hawk-eyeing every inch of the pitch, his hands poised and ready on his broom. His gaze skimmed Harry, their eyes locked, but only for the briefest moment before both of them looked away again, each intent on finding the snitch. Harry felt the old competitive rush shoot through him, and he thrilled to it. He would catch it. He would. Holweddle, Kirkpatrick, and DeGood in the Hawkshead attack formation. No surprise there. And DeGood's got to quaffle. Right, sorry, they've shunted the cannons out of the way. Nice bludger, Gudgeon. But Duncan's beat it back. DeGood shoots. Wood saves. But it's in Kirkpatrick's hands now, and... Kyle Kirkpatrick lobbed the quaffle with such force that though Oliver managed to get a hand behind it, its momentum pushed his hand back through the goal hoop. Kestrel score! Ten all! And this is shaping up to be a ripper of a match. Yes, sir. These Kestrels are here to fight. The teams pulled back. Oliver growled and chucked the quaffle to Feroza, who pulled it under her arm and shot like a bullet straight at the goal, dodging bludgers with incredible precision. Just as she flew under Harry, he saw Holdweddle approach her from the right like a freight train as Kirkpatrick closed in from the left, either to force Feroza off track or to smash her in between them. Harry dove. Before Holweddle knew what happened, Harry had zipped in front of her, barely missing being smashed himself. Holweddle spun away, leaving Feroza open to dodge right. She looped under Kirkpatrick and hurled the quaffle through the goal hoop before Fryer had time to recover. 2010 and Potter's not only a seeker, but a diversionary tactician. Excellent chasing by Newland. Another announcer's voice joined in to counterpoint. 
Yes, it's Harry Potter's professional debut, and it remains to be seen if his powers extend to the Quidditch pitch. He's up against Holgate, who's no slouch, Lee. Potter would do better to keep his eye on the prize and stay out of the chaser skirmishes. Just then, Holgate dove. Harry's whole body reacted. He followed instantly, hurtling after Holgate, who had a twenty-yard advantage. Harry couldn't see the snitch yet, but he didn't care. He leaned forward and strained, pulling his feet up tight and shooting forward with increased speed. He gained five yards, ten. Now he could have touched Holgate's broomtail. Now he was nearly kissing the pitch. There was no snitch. Harry gripped the handle of the Firebolt 5 with both hands and yanked up its nose not a second too soon. He was going too fast to pull out of the dive with any grace, and he heard the crowd gasp as he fought to stay in control. He flipped over and clutched the broom with his knees, desperate to stay on. Polgate had already soared off, cool as anything. By the time Harry managed to sort himself out, breathing heavily and glaring after his opponent, play had already recommenced. His chest burned and he set his jaw. Holgate had played him for a fool and won. He'd been Ronsky faded and very nearly killed. He heard a few jeers erupt from the stands. I'd say he's got his eye on the prize, Skip. Well, he's certainly eager, Lee, but where's his head? Any seeker in good shape would have called that fate ten yards sooner. If this is the kind of playing Potter's got to offer, he'll be lucky to pull off an accidental Plumpton pass and catch the snitch up his sleeve. If he does it like that, he'll pull a Potter pass, Skip. Sorry? A Potter pass? I don't... He'll swallow it. The game rolled on, and Feroz's deadly accurate reverse passes gave both Cole and Paul the opportunity to score again. Harry watched it all on high alert, but it wasn't until Cole scored a third time, bringing the score to 50-10 and making the Cannons fan roar with delight, that Harry finally caught a telltale flash of gold in his peripheral vision. He turned his head. Yes, it was fluttering towards the pitch on the Kestrel side, its color mingling with the strings of the harps in the stands. But Harry could distinguish it well enough. He flattened himself against his broom and sped at a downward angle toward the snitch, flying so fast the freezing wind cut against his face and made his ears ache. Holgate was nowhere in sight. He'd have it. Harry gained on the falling golden ball. He stretched out his hand, waiting to feel the cold, carved metal in his palm. The snitch had disappeared. Harry blinked and flew right over the boundary line. Foul! The referee's whistle blew. Player out of bounds! Quaffle to the Kestrels! Below Harry there was an ugly, gleeful chorus of laughter. He looked down and saw the leprechaun mascots leering up at him, flicking their gold coins into the air. Harry's face burned. He pivoted and got back in bounds, feeling extremely stupid. Flashbulbs popped on all sides, and the fans that had previously been shouting his name were now groaning and calling out inappropriate suggestions. Mind you, don't try for my nose ring, Potter! while the Kestrel's fans tittered. Oh, shut it, you great dirty... In the stands, Ron was beside himself. Both he and Mr. Gladrag stood, pressed to the front wall of their box, totally ignoring the fans' repeated requests that they sit down, and railing at all those who dared to mock Harry. Better cover up my shoe buckles, yelled one chortling fan in the next aisle. Ron clenched his teeth and drew his wand. You sodding... No, lad, Gladrag grabbed Ron's arm. You'll get thrown out, and you'll miss it. Put up those omnioculars now. Move! Ron recovered himself and refocused the omnioculars on the game. He needed to save every second for Hermione, who would have a conniption fit if she missed any of it. You've got it, mate! he screamed, his voice getting hoarser by the second. Next time, you've bloody well got it! You're doing great, Marty said, flying past Harry and giving him a wink. Just you keep going for it. Twice is on edge now. Harry returned to his bird's-eye viewpoint of the game. He couldn't afford another distraction like that one. What if the real snitch had appeared while he was busy with a bit of leprechaun gold? And after Oliver had warned him, he felt nauseated. Just the idea of it was enough to make him want to be sick. The Kestrels are back in possession! Paul Weddle took the quaffle. Backed by DeGood, she made it for Oliver and broke into another shimmy right outside the scoring area. She faked right, 
release the quaffle. Oliver nearly leapt off his broom to make the save. He missed. Irish harps began to play in victorious harmony. Stodging! No goal! The harps came to a sour stop, and the referee pointed to DeGood, who had failed to pull back quickly enough and was still half an inch inside the scoring area. DeGood cursed freely and zoomed back to mid-pitch. The score remains 50-10. Quaffle to the cannons. Oliver, his face grim and glistening with sweat, retrieved the quaffle and threw it to Paul, who passed it off to Feroza. She shot upwards, out of the mob of kestrels who threatened her on all sides, but they followed suit so quickly that it seemed she wouldn't have a chance to shoot for the hoops. Despite this, she pulled back her arm as if to throw. Kirkpatrick swept down on her, arm out to make a steal, but at the last second she tossed the quaffle straight down through all their feet, where Cole was open and waiting. Cole put the quaffle past a frustrated friar and scored. Sixty-ten, and as good a Porskoff ploy as I've ever seen. Kirkpatrick recovered the quaffle for the kestrels and zoomed recklessly forward, but Paul sidled up behind him and snatched the quaffle out from under his arm. Boomer, who'd been in a hover at the boundary edge, just by the leprechauns, now pulled up and raced toward Paul. He had no bludger, but managed to cut Paul off in front by locking their broom handles. "'Blurting!' cried the referee. "'Quaffle to the cannons!' The Kestrel fans complained loudly, and some began to chant Boomer's name. "'What a deliberate foul! Looks like someone's getting worried, Skip!' And for no good reason, Lee, if the snitch comes out before the cannons have managed another ten goals, and it's likely that it will, then the Kestrels are practically a shoo-in for the win. Oh, is that so? Yes, that's... There was a loud blast of static, and the announcers were cut off in mid-sentence. The cannons took the quaffle, and Harry scoured the pitch, determined to miss nothing. He was so focused that he didn't see the bludger heading for his hand until it had almost crushed his fingers. He lurched forward in panic and felt the bludger scrape along his back. Though he was protected by the heavy uniform cloak, there was enough pain to tell Harry he was now missing a good stripe of skin. He grimaced and whirled to see Boomer not ten yards away, barely hiding laughter. Red-hot anger blazed in Harry, but he didn't have a chance to do anything about it. Over Boomer's head, something glittered. Harry felt a surge of triumph. Boomer had certainly got his attention at the wrong moment. This was it. He leaned forward and shot towards the snitch, which was dropping lower and disappearing behind Boomer's head. Harry shifted angles and knocked Boomer to the side and out of his way. There was a painful, but somewhat satisfying, collision of shoulder on shoulder and skull on skull. Harry's head began to throb, but it didn't matter. He strained to find the snitch. Where was it? It hadn't had time to disappear. It had to be right here. The whole crowd gasped at once. They seemed to get to their feet as one body and leaned toward the opposite end of the pitch. Harry's head snapped to the place where they were looking, and his blood ran cold. There was the snitch, half a pitch away, its silver wings unmistakable against the shining green grass, and Holgate was right on top of it. There was no hope. Knowing that the game was over, and flooded with a bitter, sickening disappointment, Harry hurried forward anyway, determined to make an effort, unable to sit still while the snitch was in sight. But Holgate's hand was already stretched out and the snitch was ten feet away from his fingers. Thwack! Marty and Medusa had brought their bats down simultaneously on a bludger. It went speeding towards the snitch, flying straight and true, and faster than Harry had ever seen a bludger go. It grazed Holgate's outstretched fingers, making the kestrel seeker yelp and recoil. Surprise and obvious pain threw Holgate off balance, and he spiraled away from his target. The snitch scarpered off. Brilliant! Lee's voice was hoarse, and the whole crowd could now hear some kind of struggle happening in the press box, along with the announcements. The most accurate doppelbeater defense I've ever seen. Just as impressive was Holgate's pinpoint precision. The match was nearly over right there, wasn't it, Lee? Not a chance, Skip, you wank. And can anyone still tell me why Potter was dancing around with Boomer while the snitch finally decided to show itself? He's certainly fortunate to be flying with such a fine team tonight. Apparently Wood's reserves are well below the standards of his first string. There was another blast of static, and the announcer's voice cut out again. 
It still didn't make any sense. Harry's back ached, and the uncomfortable stickiness inside of his shirt told him he was bleeding hard. He glanced back at the spot where he'd been hit by the bludger and tried to work it out. He'd seen something. It hadn't been his imagination, and it had been the sides of a snitch. Or a galleon coin. Harry narrowed his eyes at Boomer, who smirked up at him from below. Boomer had been hovering next to the leprechauns. Perhaps he'd taken a leaf out of their book and decided to try a diversionary tactic of his own, however legal. Didn't you hear that, Harry? Medusa said, flying up to him, red-faced and panting. They're taking a penalty shot. We have to clear out. What for? Harry asked, dismayed. Blanching and cobbling. They're calling you on that collision with Boomer and a double foul is a penalty. Come on, get back behind center. He'd been hit, he'd almost lost the game, and he'd been duped into fouling twice. Irritated with himself and furious with Boomer, Harry flew back to mid-pitch and watched Kyle Kirkpatrick make toward Oliver, quaffle in hand. Oliver flew a rapid double-eight loop, seeming to block all three hoops at once, but of course that was impossible and as soon as Oliver was as far right as his looping took him, Kirkpatrick shot left. Harry clutched his broom and winced. It didn't seem possible to stop the goal, but Oliver looped swiftly around again, curled his legs around his broom, and flung himself sideways in front of the quaffle, taking it right in the chest. No goal! The crowd stamped and cheered, and Harry exhaled. He hadn't even realized that he'd been holding his breath. The match resumed at twice its previous speed and brutality. The Kestrels now threw themselves entirely into defense and quaffle-stealing, but their efforts seemed to result in more accidental anatomy-seizing than anything else, and their errors put the quaffle back into the hands of the cannons again and again. Goal after goal went past Abby Fraser, who was wearing down with every shot. Not even Boomer, whose double-handed assaults on the bludgers should have resulted in several severe injuries to the cannons, seemed to be able to break their strength and focus. They were simply a stunning team. Oliver's harsh practice schedule had certainly paid off, and Harry found himself wishing he could watch their maneuvers from the stands. As it was, he sped from corner to corner, unblinking, making sure to be on all sides of play so that nothing could escape his sight. He would not fail again. 140-10, cried the referee. Quaffle to the Kestrels! It hardly mattered, though, Harry reflected, whether he caught the snitch or not. Unless it came out right now, there was a good chance that the cannons were going to win it without him. Something sparkled in the air on his right. Harry swerved toward it, lurched forward, and stopped. Whatever it had been, it had already vanished, and Boomer was sitting close to the spot where he had just seen it. The Kestrel's beater was looking, perhaps too deliberately, in the other direction. "'What the hell are you doing?' Harry hollered at his back. Boomer didn't turn, but he was tossing out leprechaun gold. Harry was sure of it now, and he flew towards Oliver as fast as he could. "'Call a timeout!' he yelled, approaching the goal hoops. Oliver didn't look at him, so intent was he on watching the movements of the quaffle, which was still in his chaser's hands at the other end of the pitch. "'Why?' he barked. "'What's happening?' "'It's Boomer!' He's got a pocket full of leprechaun gold, and he's tossing it out as a distraction, Harry panted, watching Oliver's face go scarlet with rage. That, and Oliver called Boomer exactly what Ron would have. That's what had me going before, Harry explained hurriedly, still scanning the pitch for fear that the snitch would choose this moment to flutter out and catch him off guard yet again. Get the ref to check him. I'll bet he's still got some on him. Call a timeout. Done. Oliver raised his arms to make the giant T that signaled the need for a pause, but before he'd done it, there was a flash of light in the center of the pitch. Harry spun toward it as if magnetized and strained his eyes as hard as he could. Was that silver and gold? And was it flying up? Don't call anything, he shouted frantically. Without waiting another second, he shot forward toward what he knew was the golden snitch, and the closer he got, the more obvious it became. It shivered and hovered and threatened to dart at any second. It had to be his. Yeah, Harry, it's yours! It was Ron's voice, and his single hoarse cheer ignited an agitated hum which swept the stands. The noise started low and gained momentum as Harry did, 
buzzing and shrieking, the rumble of cheers and shouts growing, until its volume made the air seem to vibrate, sending Harry forward ever faster. "'Go on, Harry!' Oliver bellowed behind him. "'Catch it, man!' The dark world outside the pitch, and the bright stadium around him, seemed to narrow down to one walnut-sized point as Harry sped forward, his back throbbing, his fingers stiff with cold, his hair sleeking back in the wind. On the opposite side of the snitch, equally as far from it as he was, Harry saw the dim blur of emerald green and yellow that he knew must be Adam Holgate, racing headlong toward him. It hardly mattered. Holgate would have to smash right into him if he wanted that snitch. Twenty yards. Harry flattened to his broom. The world was gone in a haze of speed. Fifteen. He stretched out one hand. His eyes stung in the wind, even behind his glasses. But he forced them to stay open. He wouldn't blink. Ten. He let go with both hands and stretched toward the silver wings that uncurled and beat and flashed and toyed with him. Five yards. Harry rocketed forward without a care for his safety. There was Holgate, just on the other side of the snitch, going just as fast as he was, looking just as unlikely to back away. Three yards. Two. Harry stretched out until he thought his arm would come out of the socket. Crunch. Pain. Agonizing pain. His arm hadn't come out of the socket, but had gone into it instead. There was a gasp and a groan from the crowd. Harry gripped the broom with his left hand, which for a moment still seemed to be working, but it didn't last. The pain dulled every other sense, and Harry felt his muscles relax. Gravity gave way. Hitting the ground wasn't as bad as it should have been. Harry thought he heard someone yell when he was on his way down. Maybe it had been Oliver. Oliver had managed to slow down Knight's body, after all. It was probably the same spell. Harry's thoughts grew fuzzier. The ultra-bright stadium lanterns in the dark, dark sky swam above his head, mixing together in his blurred vision to make a lovely mess of light. Beside him, someone groaned miserably. Harry managed to turn his head. Holgate laid beside him, his eyes shut and his mouth open, blood gushing out of his left ear and scrape marks all along his face. Harry couldn't move his right hand. Perhaps his hand in Holgate's head had... Harry! Oh, Harry! Harry couldn't turn his head far enough to see the owner of that voice, but he knew who it was, and regardless of the pain in his arm, a warm feeling flooded his stomach. Jenny, he croaked, you're here? Yes, of course. I heard your name on the wireless and came right up, but they won't let me in there, and— Oh, you're talking. Thank God. I thought— Shh, Jenny, it's all right. The voice was Ron's. He sounded shaken and subdued. Not at all like he'd looked up there in the stands. Harry, can you hear what I'm saying? It was a meta-wizard. His kind, black face loomed above Harry's, and his white teeth flashed. Can you tell me your name, son? It's Harry Potter. Good. And how old are you? Harry thought about it. Eighteen? Where do you live? Stagsden. Who's the Minister of Magic? Harry laughed weakly. Arthur Weasley. I... I don't have a concussion. It's my arm. My arm hurts. He had sudden vision of Lockhart standing above him and nancying about with a shiny wand. He cringed at the memory. Be careful, he muttered. The meta-wizard touched his arm gently, near the shoulder. Here, he said. But before he'd even got the word out, Harry had hollered in pain. All right, said the meta-wizard. All right. We'll get you sorted. Just lie still now. Moments later, Harry was floated into the air. He lay suspended, feeling surprisingly little pain. Mostly there was just a shadowy haze, and a funny thumping on his arm. It made the pain worse. Something, he managed. My arm, my elbow, is bouncing. The meta wizard chuckled. It may feel that way, but don't you worry. We'll get it all taken care of, Mr. Potter. No. The thumping had greatly increased, and it didn't seem to be a part of his arm. There was something... Harry's heart froze with hope. There's something in my sleeve, he whispered. Look up my sleeve. Hurry! The meta-wizard sighed. Delirious, he muttered, but obligingly lifted the sleeve cuff of Harry's orange robes and rolled them back. Harry reached across his body with his left hand. 
he groped along his wrist guard to the hot, swollen skin of his elbow until his hand closed around something moving, something alight, something cold and small, and... I caught it, he breathed. I caught it. The snitch beat helplessly against his palm, shivering and twitching and unfurling its wings between his fingers. I caught it, he rasped louder. Oliver! Where's Oliver Wood? Yeah, Harry! came Ron's strangled cry from somewhere beyond Harry's field of vision. Ginny gave a sob. Oliver said nothing, but a moment later his face came into view. His eyes were full of tears. I knew you would, was all he said. All around Harry, flashbulbs began to pop. He heard the sound of a thousand questions being asked all at once, felt the careless, inhumane jostling of what could only have been the press. He shut his eyes. Harry's hand uncurled. He felt the snitch lift off just before the world went black.